Welcome to The Lens with me, Sarah Travers. The Lens is a business and the community podcast in partnership with One Young World. I'm delighted to welcome our guests today to The Lens. First up, we have Tony Judd, Managing Director of Verizon Business for the UK and Ireland. Now, Verizon is one of the largest communication technology companies in the world. So I'm sure you're all really excited to hear about their plans for the future and find out how Verizon is taking its responsibility for people and the planet to the next level. And joining Tony, our second guest is Luke Achman, Careers Talent Development Programs in Bayer. Now, based in Berlin, Luke's company Bayer is a global enterprise with core competencies in the life science fields of healthcare and agriculture. Its products and services are designed to benefit people and improve their quality of life. At the same time, it aims to create value through innovation, growth, and high earning power. Now, in this episode, we'll be exploring how Tony and Luke's shared passion for people development plays out in both of their businesses. We'll also find out how development of talent for the future is critical for business success. And we'll be asking them what a responsible future looks like for them personally, professionally, and digitally. So let's get into the conversation. Tony, Luke, welcome to The Lens. Hi, Sarah. Lovely to be here. Lovely to meet you too, Tony. Let's find out a little bit about you. You've come a long way. You're now Managing Director of Verizon Business, a massive global company. How did you get there? And then if you could also tell us a bit about Verizon as well. I come from a working class background, which you can probably tell from my cut glass dialect. I followed the more traditional route of of going into the workplace as an apprentice in BT and then doing a vocational qualification uh, while I was in there. And from a career point of view, I've I've been really lucky. I joined BT when it was still a monopoly. It was a nationalized industry. I had a career where I've done lots and lots of roles. You know, I started in installation, maintenance, planning, service, operations, sales, business development, all different levels. You've got that very, very diverse experience base, which was good for me. I, I know now that I'm a kinesthetic learner. Back then, I, I didn't even know what that meant. So to be hands-on and to be able to do lots of different jobs has, been, has enabled me to develop and learn. Verizon is a giant technology company. Um, we're just shy of $140 billion turnover. We've got 120,000 employees. And the bit I work in is, is Verizon Business, which is $30 billion turnover. And in the UK, we've got about 1,500 employees. And, and what we're about is, is network security is our historic line. We're a telecommunications company. In our particular context, is adding things like private 5G and edge compute to our network and security business. But that enables us, our partners, and our customers to develop this next generation of, of application that's that's sort of badged near real time. So it uses things like computer vision, AI, you know, augmented reality and other things to create new possibilities that didn't exist before. Whether you're talking about healthcare, whether you're talking about events like sport and fan engagement, um, or, or whether you're talking about improving productivity and quality in a production line of, say, Bayer. 
These are the new technologies which we enable the support of through the infrastructures we provide. Let's bring in Luke now and Bayer. Luke, what kind of journey have you had today to get you to this really interesting job title that you have? The job title is quite interesting. I started my career in banking. I was in banking at the time that the banking crisis actually erupted and they basically told me, Luke, we really like you, but your contract will expire and we will not renew it. This was sort of a blessing because I had the opportunity to really think about like, what are the things that I really like to do in my job? What do I want to do more of? What are the things that I want to do less of? I think this this was so frustrating, especially at a young age, right? I mean, you're sort of in your 20s, you think you're bigger than the world, you know best, and you think that you're really ready for the next step. But never getting that opportunity was super frustrated. In the end, I saw a job at Bayer because Bayer has basically three major divisions. We have the pharmaceuticals, we have crop science, and we have consumer health, and all very different, but also very similar as well. And we have 100,000 employees worldwide. I could figure that if the job that I was applying to would not really be my perfect job anymore, that there might be something else for me afterwards. And um, actually doing my sales job um, for two years actually led me to a conversation with my manager where I told him, I want to have your job. (laughs) And he was a little bit, he was a bit started. I mean, I'm Dutch. I'm typically very direct and he's from Belgium, but I had sort of the fortunate blessing that he really was a people's person. And then we actually started searching for opportunities within the organization. And we realized that within pharmaceutical and the radiology division where I was working at the time, we had a development plan. And and I applied. It was a very exclusive one. And luckily, I got it. I moved with my girlfriend, now wife, to Berlin in 2019. I got experience in project management, marketing, business development, and strategy. And in the end, actually land a job in global strategy. The problem with me and my managers is always that they sort of had to remind me that I also have a day job. I love to have these extracurricular distractions, some people call them. But I like to see them as opportunities to really enhance my career and to get the most out of my job. I started a community. It's called Young Bayer, which focuses on generational diversity because Being very young in a company as big as Bayer, you can get overwhelmed very easily. When I came to Berlin, I started the same thing. And at some point, we got asked by a global HR lead to do a sounding board on talent attraction and development. That's where I realized that HR can also be very cool. I know at Bayer, you value this multi-generational workforce. I'm just thinking of our listeners here who want to do better, they want to be more diverse, they know that they've got frustrated younger people that aren't climbing that ladder maybe as quickly as they want. Tony, I'm just thinking at 37, did you say to the boss, I want your job? I've never suffered from imposter syndrome or or anything like that. And I've never been ambitious. So I've never wanted to climb the career ladder, not been a driving force, whereas with with other people it is. I've, I've I've always been in a position where the reason I want to take another job is probably because I either enjoy that work or I get frustrated by seeing the person in that job. And I think, you know, just, just I need to do that because there's so much opportunity here. That's really what's what's driven me to move so much in my career. And interestingly, I always thought I was bold in terms of taking career steps, you know, moving disciplines. If I was talking to a life coach and he said to me, talk about the biggest risks you've ever taken. And I was talking about, you know, career and and major changes I've made. And and he said, so, but talk me through the detail of that. How did it actually happen? And when I talked through the detail, 
I realised that they are all low-risk moves because I've got a supporter, previous manager might have already made the move and they wanted me on their team in another department and so I moved sideways with them. Every move, it was a low-risk considered move. So little tiny steps rather than big steps. And then I realised that actually I'm, I'm quite a, a risk-averse individual rather than somebody that's you know, big and bold and goes straight out of the comfort zone into the fear zone and, and develops. It's just, just small, small steps have got me to where I am. Now, I've never planned my career either, especially younger employees. They, they ask me about what career development I've done and how, how rigorous I was in the planning of it because it's so diverse. And I said, well, actually not at all. I've like literally just I've been lucky, but I've listened, I've looked for opportunities, and when something's come up, I've taken it rather than just let it pass by, So, but taken multiple small risks. So isn't that interesting that it took that life coach for you to maybe develop that self-awareness that really these big dramatic risks you were taking and we think that we've got to be super ambitious and have this five-year plan and where do you want to be and yeah. goal-setting. Do you think there's a place for that too? Or does it depend on the type of person that you are? I, th I think the latter. Everybody's different. Everybody's driven by different things. When I look at somebody, uh, I always look at them as an onion. So I, I start with IQ in the middle of the onion. Then I look at knowledge. Then I look at experience. Then I look at skills. Then I look at you know whether they've got a bias to action. Then I look at their behaviour. And then their emotional intelligence and probably surrounding all of that, I look at their moral compass. So when, when I look at anybody, so if I'm interviewing, I, I quickly assess those things and then hone in on the one that I, I'm not sure about or they haven't demonstrated it and, and actually consciously say, I don't want to talk to you about your knowledge anymore. You're like, you've got 100% tick pass, you know, let, let, let's go. So, so, yeah, I think everybody brings different things and everybody can use any one of those different attributes or a combination of those attributes to be successful in their role. And when you hear somebody like Luke and what he's doing, if Luke came into you and said, Tony, I want your job or I want to I want to get here and I want to get here now. And actually, yes, I know I have a day job, but I'm going to do this over yeah. here. Would you love that enthusiasm? I do. And, and I, I smiled as Luke was talking. I love people that invent things for themselves that they want to do. I, probably the best example of this. I've, I've got a, a, a guy, young guy working for me at the moment coming through one of our early in career graduate programs he's got a massive interest in sustainability he's actually said i want to create a job that doesn't exist today in sustainability and it's like wow you know in terms of things like bias to action he started to engage other sales teams and say you know you're bidding for an infrastructure for xyz customer can i do some analysis on sustainability in their business and put it as an addendum on the response. And so he was doing it off of his own back. And you know, now whenever I speak to anybody about sustainability, I invite him to the meeting. By de facto, he's become our sustainability expert in the UK. And you know, at some stage, we will have a sustainability lead. I saw it happen with CSR five, six years ago, similar situation. Somebody come in and, and actually said, I'm going to create a job that doesn't exist today. Guess what job they're doing today? They're head of CSR in the UK. 
Yeah, that is so amazing. And Luke, I want to talk to you a little bit more about who do you look to for your inspiration to help you uh, to inspire these other people coming behind you? What I just basically ask them, this is a question that get, that I get asked as well, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I think this is a very tricky question. Uh, I mean, I was a little bit triggered, Tony, about what you were just saying, like never aiming to climb the career ladder. Like, But my typical answer is, and this, this frustrates a lot of people, if they ask me, what do I want to be when I grow up? I say happy. And I try to look at my career as not sort of a collection of function titles, basically a collection of skills. And that's why moving from a global strategy function to leading early career talent development programs, not a night and day difference, because I need to sell this internally. I need to do good stakeholder management. I need to have a good solid strategy around it. And I need to be able to execute Absolutely. And we're hearing all about authenticity, about bringing your real self to work. Is that the only way that businesses are going to succeed going forward, do you think, Luke? I mean, to me, um, inclusion and diversity is more than checking boxes. It is about bringing your true self to work. And that means you. it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to show that you're hurting, that you're upset, or that you're super happy. I mean, in the end, if you really feel like you can be your full self or bring your full self to work, I believe, and research shows this, that companies will thrive. Now, I know in the UK, there can be this sort of like, oh, seriously, is this all this toxic positivity? Everybody can't be happy all the time. Tony, how have you seen this people management change over the years? And is it right that we're much more compassionate and kind to others? I mean, I'm 57 now, so the workplace has just changed so drastically for the better. The change in the last three years has been dramatic. There's an overgyration one way, you know, you'd... I suppose one of the advantages of being old, you see things swing and they go way out of balance one way. If you're trying to get things equal, you have to overtip the scales one way for them to then recalibrate back. You see that everywhere. The environment and the work environment, you know, where people are listened to and can demonstrate who they are. I think we over encourage people to be their authentic self. Because there's this huge light shone on it at the moment, you, you get people bending way out of shape to be their authentic self. And as you become their inauthentic self, it's a really bizarre thing. And you, you can see it. And, you know, you end up with people virtue signaling when they actually don't want to virtue signal and marketing themselves, you know, when they don't actually want to do that. And it's all because they feel like they're in a bit of a race uh, with everybody else rather than just a journey. All of these things, diversity, inclusion, everything we're doing at the moment, we're tipping the scales deliberately to one side to try and bring some balance. So it, the balance will come back. We know when people are being absolutely genuine and we know when people are trying to be or over portray an image of themselves that isn't utterly genuine. And, and interestingly, the people that are completely authentic, like an open book authentic, quickly develop relationships with other people. They quickly develop trust with colleagues, with customers, with partners. And that's when you see the magic happen. You know, that, that's when you see more people included because naturally, you know, the more you trust somebody, the more you're going to then open up to somebody and, and feel that your voice matters and or you're in a safe area. And then you talk more 
And then all of that leads to new ideas, leads to innovation. So, you know, when companies talk about diversity equals growth, yes, it does, but it's actually, you know, inclusivity that equals growth because if you're inclusive, it means everybody's got a voice. It means everybody can talk freely. It means you develop trust. That then leads to ideas. I had a, I had a great story the other day, and it was a, a chap come in and did a talk. He was on a Formula One team, and he was talking about different cultures between the Formula One teams. Uh, and he talked about one Formula One team that was, was very um, hierarchical, very critical, and so nobody came up with any new ideas. Then he talked about Red Bull, where, you know, sort of anybody can come up with some crazy, crazy idea, which is what they do, which is why they've been able to innovate and why they're winning all the time. And uh, this is what leads to innovation. When you've got that psychological safety, diversity comes less of a problem because yeah. naturally it becomes in a magnet. So anybody that says, actually, I want to work there in that team, in that company in that country whatever it is because they're inclusive tell me about your leadership style and your people development i'm very conscious that not everybody thinks you know the way i do i mean the the most brilliant person that's ever worked for me she blew the skins off on every layer of the onion but she had imposter syndrome she never thought she was good enough and uh so just needed constant encouragement sometimes pushing and just say, well, I don't care what you think, you know, you're going to apply for that job and, and go for it. You know, she's in a different company now, a, 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 an amazing company now, doing a role more senior than me. What about other people who maybe didn't get the same opportunities or the starts in life? Yeah, well, you, you, we try as best we can. We're doing things, working with partners, working with BITC as well. We've supported over a, a, in the UK over a thousand individuals. In, in terms of bringing them through into university or getting our staff to speak uh, at schools and, and colleges and, and other venues about technology, uh, you know, women in technology especially, and trying to give that inspiration, that role, role model encouragement to individuals to, to take the step up. The individuals who are involved in that in the Verizon side just get so much enjoyment and pride and commitment out of doing that as too do we, you know, with them and, and ourselves. Let's bring Luke in at this point. Uh, Tony talked a lot about, uh, you know, opportunities for people, but let's talk culture again. You're working in Berlin but you're a Dutchman. Um, so tell us about you know, working in a different culture and and what that's been like. And then talk to me about the culture of the organization. It's great. When I just moved to Berlin, I got like this cultural training where they explained how does the average German relate to the average Dutch person. And and it's it's just very interesting. I mean, I don't want to sort of stereotype too much here, but I think sort of from a hierarchy perspective, there's a, there's a major difference from a basic rules or, or process perspective very different. I mean, the Dutch typically feel they are the exception, not how the, the typical German feels. How do you adapt then? I don't. I just <laughs> use the, the Dutch directness card, like I sort of pull the cultural uh, inappropriation card, because it's sometimes just a bit inappropriate. Like if you would ask, go to a random organization in the Netherlands and you would ask somebody from an opinion, everybody and anybody would give it. That's not the typical case in a German organization, but really living it and living in a different country, working with people from Different backgrounds on a day-to-day -day is where you really get to experience diversity.
And I'd love to ask you a little bit also, Luke, about your work as a One Young World ambassador. What's that brought to your life? Being a One Young World ambassador really opened my eyes that the things I take for granted are not normal to a lot of people. So, I mean, that's why I'm happy that now as Bayer, we always used to speak about inclusion and diversity, but now we added the E for equity. And I mean, this actually means that we provide additional opportunities for those who have not been given the same opportunities as all of us. Tony, at this point, I would love to see if you would like to ask Luke any questions, especially about what he's doing with young Bayer and early careers. Just digging down on that last point you made, Luke, in terms of trying to reach that magical point where the Japanese, is it Kiye or something, where you've basically got something that you love, something the world needs, something you're good at, and something that pays money all coming together, which is what we strive for. What sort of other things have you got going on that, that really does help you know, people from really challenged backgrounds to, to make a step? I don't think we're doing enough. I mean, there are loads of great programs. So, for example, sourcing great talent from Africa, like that didn't go to a Harvard or a Cambridge or a whatever, but because that's where the big companies will always look at. Um, I'm now trying to work with our colleagues from DE&I to see how can we have more inclusive sourcing processes. So like, if we say gender is a thing, like, are we really giving the same opportunity to the same people? Or if we're saying we want to source more people from outside of Germany because out of the 100,000 employees, three, one out of four works in Germany. I mean, but we're an international company, right? So should our executive committee be white German men? Hopefully not in the future. What are we doing to actually source that pipeline? And so I know we're trying to make things happen, but if I'm completely honest, we love to go back to the things where we are comfortable with. That is looking at the, the best education or looking at our talent, high potential lists. And I mean, even though I really love uh, Tony, how you hire people sort of looking at it from an onion, like, is this really fair and inclusive? And like, can you be very honest and say that, like, you would give everybody the same opportunities because you can basically not rate the layers of the onion. Mm. Yeah, it's tough. And it's almost like a halo effect that you hope that by trying to do the right thing, people can see it happening and can think that's a company that believes that somebody like me might be worthy of a career with them and just gives that encouragement. It's really good, really good, Luke. Yeah, I'd love to also see now, uh, Luke, if you would like to ask Tony a question. Yeah, yeah, I, I do. What are sort of the massive changes you see with, with Gen Z entering the workforce and how do you feel it will impact the workforce culture? The generations coming through um, at the moment, I think, and especially as you're trying to accelerate them into the workplace, and probably people 30 years ago used to say this, 40 years ago used to say this about me too. First of all, they stick together naturally, yeah, because they're the same age, they've got the same background, they've got a lot in common. And so, so when you're trying to integrate into the workforce, you find that there's this this magnet effect in that, yeah, but they all go back together again, which then makes pods of cultures within an organisation. And, and so you have to sort of work on things to say, well, actually, the whole point of this is is that we all mix up and you, you learn different things off of each other. So, for example, I have, I have two reverse mentors 
you know, who, who educate me and, uh, and, and probably, you know, keep me out of jail as well. But they, 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 they educate me with different thinking. They tell me what the group's thinking. They tell me what that generation's thinking. And, and most of my managers have reverse mentors as well. One particular youngster wanted to run a culture day. So we said, okay, let's go for it. And uh, this was a completely not corporatized event. And uh, she and a couple of others did a culture day. We did everything from basic stuff like eating different cultural foods. So it's, it's a winner for me straight away. Then we had faith sessions. So we, we talked about different faiths and, and, you know, a representative, you know, from all different faiths stood up and talked for 20 minutes about their faith. And uh, that was, like, amazing because um, faiths that you actually thought were almost very similar, they, they never, ever talked to each other. And so th- there was immediately after the session, there was this great big, if you like, mashup of I didn't realise we were so similar and I didn't realise you celebrated this and I didn't realise you. And it was like, wow, this is incredible. And it was a complete leveller because equality exists in faith whether you're 57 or whether you're 22 is, if you've got a belief system or, or anything spiritual or whatever, you've got an opinion and it completely levels things up. We also have some great examples with sort of a, a junior advisory board, mm. basically a shadow board to the senior board. Yeah. I'm not saying we should have more Gen Zs on the board. God, no. Right? We want to have sort of only the best and the brightest and the experienced people there. But it doesn't mean that the voices should not be heard. Yeah. I agree. And interestingly, on the reverse mentoring, it's like, even if it's not formally set up, anybody that's mentoring somebody young should be mentored themselves. If they find they're not learning, then I'd say they need to question what sort of a leader and a manager they are. This is an interesting point, right? Because I think there's a massive difference between a manager and a leader. Yeah. And I think often we forget, we basically swap on a new function title. But there's a massive, massive gap in skills. Yeah, there is. I, I, the, the one thing that I always watch for and I always coach against for people that are just moving into management is, I don't know if you've ever seen the film Highlander, when you cut somebody's head off, the quickening occurs and all of the, the powers of the person rushes into your body. I said, that seriously doesn't happen when you get the title of manager. You don't become all insightful, all knowledgeable overnight. It's you're the same person on Monday morning and that you're the person that actually got you the job. So don't change, you know, just, just learn. I think authenticity is important. You can do all the training and courses or whatever, but if you pretend to be somebody else, this will only be awkward for you and for the people that you lead. I mean, it's, it's great to learn new things, to experiment with new tools, but like be open about it. Just tell your team, I just went on this course and I want to try something. Give me a break for a month. And then afterwards we'll evaluate and either we'll stick with it or we'll let it go. And it's interesting that you you mentioned about being Dutch and director a minute ago and and as almost giving everybody else the knowledge that you're not being rude and giving everybody else the, the, the permission to actually challenge you. I've got a, a guy works for me, he's, he's autistic, and he will apologise before a meeting in front of a few people. And as you say, I'm sorry if I come across like this. 
it's not my intention it's because of just the way i am it's like a moment of magic when he says that nobody takes any offense at what he says everybody feels comfortable amazing icebreaker A little, a little bit of a disclaimer, yeah, and everybody relaxes a little yeah. bit. For the listeners, let's leave them with some takeaways. So in a nutshell, what would you say are the three key benefits of prioritising people in the workplace? Tony? Well, from a purely callous business point of view, it's productivity, innovation and growth. Luke mentioned what he wants to be when he grows up. And interestingly, it's exactly the same as what I want to be when I grow up, which is happy. A happy workplace is a workplace that breeds collaboration that then results in teamwork. It creates an environment of psychological safety, mental health improves. People manage stress better. Employee retention rates and engagement rates go up. It means you naturally get diversity and inclusion. All of that impact then leads to productivity, innovation and growth. So happiness in the workplace is is for me the, the thing. Yeah, I can only echo this. I mean, sort of it's this thing, right? If people say, like, I want to be rich when I grow up. Well, I mean, rich is not a goal. It's an outcome. So is like increased performance or reduced turnover or whatever. If you create... An environment where people are happy and feel like they can bring their true self, right? not sort of this inflated whatever they think they have to be. Now, really, their true selves, I think this benefits everybody. Brilliant. The last question for both of you today is one that I ask every guest on the lens. So it involves you as a leader, but personally now, I want you to think about what you're doing that's good for the world, good for business, good for the planet, good for people. What are you committed to doing more of or less of in the next 12 months? Luke? What I am committing to do more of is listen to my wife. Um, But I think sort of joking aside, what I mean with that is seeking guidance from people that I do not see eye to eye with. Because I think very often I try to go to my friends in the organization who I know that love the things that I do and love the way that I think. By finding those friction moments, I think that's actually where you get the shine. And what I want to do less of is something I'm actually great at, and that is postpone things that I do not want to do. Fabulous. Great answers, though. Tony? I'm pretty much with Luke on this one in in terms of... I look for the danger areas. Luke mentioned Gen Z earlier. There's a big difference in generationally between from beliefs and everything else. And I talked to earlier about how people form into, if you like, pods, culture pods. Is is smashing the pods together so you can do the safe thing, which is create initiatives like encouraging them to work together the, the way I talked about, or you can actually do the Vegas rules thing and actually get them together and say right in a safe environment without prejudice if everybody's got to vote in and say they're comfortable we're going to talk about some of the things that we're thinking about and uh because i guarantee with 99 percent of these things it's just ignorance but ignorance is a negative word but actually it's not it's just the fact that we just don't know but speaking as a as a 57 year old person a lot of the I've probably caused offence to so many people, but I just didn't know it because I'm ignorant. And uh, and the only way I can educate myself is to ask and collaborate and talk with somebody, which is why things like reverse mentoring are important. It's also worth people getting together. And, and, and But like all things with conflict, don't talk about the, the items of the conflict. Talk about how you feel. 
And uh, because it's when you talk about how you feel, the other side starts to realise, ah, okay, this isn't about a debate of who's right or wrong. This is about the fact that what I'm saying is creating a feeling in somebody. The whole psychology switches around. So I think I'll be doing more of that and doing less of. I tend to need an empty inbox in life. I put it to the detriment of everything else. So there's only two ways around it, which is you do all of the urgent things and then make sure you work into the night and to do the important things. Yeah, or you make you fire from the hip and commit to important things publicly and then walk away and think, did I just do that? I've just created so much work for myself. It's <laughs> such a problem. So that, that's been my main coping strategy up to now, is just uh, commit to stuff. Yeah. Do you know what? This has been such an open and honest conversation and fabulous to hear the self-awareness. Tony, for somebody who identified as being risk-averse, saying that you're going to look for these danger areas and challenge yourself uh, for the next 12 months, I wish you the very best of luck. Thank you so much to Luke and to Tony for joining me on this brilliant edition of The Lens where we've been talking all things people and development. The takeaway for me is what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, happy. That's a great place to start. The rest are outcomes, as Luke said, but it will lead to productivity, innovation and growth. You've been listening to The Lens with me, Sarah Travers. If your business wants to be more responsible for people and the planet and work with others to achieve greater impact, then please do get in touch with business in the community at www.bitc.org.uk. Thanks for listening and tune in next time.